Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 4, and um, we're going to read together from verse 1. We're going to look at what it is that the Lord is wanting to say as we complete this series on the seven churches together. We've looked at the seven churches, we've looked at what it is that Jesus is saying to those churches, and as we've looked at those seven churches, all those years ago in Asia Minor, which is today modern day mainland Turkey, where sadly the gospel flame is not as bright as it once was, but those seven churches are churches that are in many ways representative of us, both individually and collectively. And when we, when we hear what it is that Jesus is saying to those churches and the way in which he's challenging us to change and the way in which he's inviting us into a new journey with him, we, I'm sure, are stirred to look to the Lord again for a fresh wind of his spirit, a fresh fire of his calling Last week, as we summarized those seven churches, we asked, well, what is it that Jesus wants the church to be? And we looked at the use of the word heart in, in those scriptures and how the Lord searches the hearts of the churches, individuals within the churches and churches collectively. And we, we asked how is it that God wants to adjust and change and transform our hearts so that we have a wholehearted service, a wholehearted devotion to him? And then this week, we're going to go from what it is to be what Jesus wants us to be into what it is that we should do. What does Jesus want us to do? We are human beings before we're human doings, but we do have to recognize that the life of faith that we're called to walk in will result in us doing something. So what is it that Jesus wants us to do? We're going to begin by reading these few verses from chapter four. And they are the words that John writes immediately on completing the letters that Jesus dictates to him for the seven churches. And he continues and says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on the 24 thrones were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as a crystal. John has heard the words of Jesus to the churches. 
And as he's hearing the words of Jesus to the churches, his perspective, his, his gaze is drawn upwards. He's drawn upwards to look to the heavens and look to the Lord. And surely as we read these scriptures ourselves, we find ourselves yearning and, and stirring and, and turning to the Lord and looking to him. And as John looked, he saw a door in heaven. I was sitting at a coffee shop. I think I was probably preparing a sermon uh, at some point. And um, I saw this remarkable sight in the heavens. I was hoping it wasn't an indication that this was my last moment on earth. I felt like I'd got one or two other things to do. But um, it was an amazing thing. It, just, it was just there in the sky. And so I, you know, it's great that we've got these phones now, isn't it, that we can do all of this kind of thing. I took that quick shot and, and I, I wonder whether it was something like that that John, that John saw. A door in heaven. But unlike the door that Bob Dylan was standing at knocking, that's for the teenagers among us, unlike the door at which some people are knocking, the door in heaven stood open for John. An open door indicating an invitation. And the invitation is extended to all who would love and follow the Lord Jesus. In heaven there is a door that stands open, not closed. And that door standing open is the door through which God speaks. And he says this to John as he's in the spirit, come up here. And when John goes up through the door in the spirit, the first thing that he encounters is the glory, the majesty, the splendor, the wonder of God himself. This, this splendor of, of beauty that he is completely overwhelmed by. The symbolic language of apocalyptic literature and here in Revelation gives us just the barest indication of the majesty that John beheld as he looked to a throne of glory and he saw the representatives of the people both of Old and New Testaments gathered before the throne and he heard the rumblings of thunder and the, and the flashes of lightning. And he saw that the, that the floor of heaven is the ceiling of the world. And that heaven is able to observe the world from the place of glory. John's heart is taken to another place. Because the invitation is not simply to a revelation. The invitation is to a destination. And what is the nature of our destination? Allow me to read on from verse 6. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. 
The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will They were created and have their being. What is our destination? Yes, it is a deeper and more wonderful revelation of who God is. But fundamentally, our destination is to a place and that place has a culture and that culture is worship. The culture, the very fabric, down to the granular details The culture of heaven is worship. And so when we gather for worship and when we're stirred in worship and when we're moved in worship and when we sense our spirits lifted in worship, what's happening is that we are getting a foretaste of our destination. It's as though though the door in heaven is standing open and the invitation is being offered to our destination. The invitation found in worship reminds us of our destination, which is to be always constantly immersed, saturated in the presence of God and to worship him. I don't know what that worship looks like on a kind of day-to-day basis in heaven, It'll be something like you, I'm sure, starting work on Monday morning, inviting the Lord into your day and worshiping him with your work. It'll be you working around the home, helping the children grow, encouraging your friends and your family. It will be you living the life of a believer, asking that God fills you and flows through you. But what we know unequivocally and for certain is that our destination will be forever worship. And so the first thing that we attend to as we think about what it is that Jesus wants us to do is the first door that is mentioned here in Revelation. The first door the door upwards, the door to worship. Our first calling, our first priority, our first determination as a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus by worshiping the Father. Fortunately for us, we have the definition of what that worship entails, what that, what that worship contains The scriptures are riven through with expressions of worship, but of course, Jesus, the living word, 
helps us to interpret the written word. And so when we find that Jesus speaks on a particular subject, we know that that word that he gives is definitive for all of scripture and helps us to understand what it is that scripture is saying to us. And Jesus gives us the clearest definition of worship. He gives it when he's talking to a woman, a woman who was not of the same faith as him, a woman who was not of the same ethnic origin as him, a woman who was marginalized, was alienated because of her promiscuity. Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, and instead of taking the journey that most devout Jews would do, which would to skirt around the land of the Samaritans that was considered unholy. He went through the land of the Samaritans and led his disciples with him. And in the middle of the day when he was tired from his journey, he sent the disciples off to get some food from a local village called Sychar. And there was Jacob's well and he sat down in the heat of the day. And a woman came to draw water At this unfamiliar time of the day, normally the women from the village would be in the morning or the evening in the cooler hours. But she, being alienated as she was, isolated as she was, was was not welcome amongst the other women. And so she came in the middle of the day. And Jesus speaks to her and asks her for a drink. And she's shocked. She says, you... A Jew and a man speak to me, a woman and a Samaritan? Jesus says, yes, you're a, you're a woman and a Samaritan. I know that much about you just from observation. But I know a lot more about you than you know about. And he begins to unfold what it is that he knows about her. But in the midst of his conversation, he does two amazing things. He, he reveals that he's the Messiah, clearly, unequivocally, something that he very rarely did in his conversations with people. And the second thing he does, when she's asking him searching questions about what it means to be a devout follower of God, he describes to her and defines for her what worship is all about. If you've got your Bibles, then have a look with me at John's Gospel, chapter 4 and verse 23. In the middle of his conversation, he says this to the woman at the well. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a very handy person around the house. I'm, I'm intelligent enough to kind of follow the, follow the instructions for an Ikea bit of furniture or something, you know. I can do that. I don't really like doing it, but I, I do it. And I can paint and I can fix things with screwdrivers and stuff. But I'm not, I'm not a kind of joyful handyman. 
Do you know what I mean? I, I know some folks who are really amazing. Gary comes to our house and it just makes it look so amazingly easy. And I just think, ugh, I hate you. <laughs> and you, you, one, of the, one of the things that that does is it puts me and other people at risk around me, generally. Uh, one of the times that I was put at risk and maybe put other people at risk as, as well was we would just moved into a, a new house and um, I was putting in the new washing machine. Now, in England, all of the electricity in the homes is intended to kill you. Because <laughs> uh, it's about 220 volts and, you know, if you get any of that in you, then, you, you know, you're really kind of lit up for a while. Over here, much more practical, it's about 110, and you know, it's quite exciting. It's not, it's not quite as challenging as the 220, it's more of a kind of, you know, kind of interesting buzz. <laughs> but, um, but what I discovered was that the washing machine doesn't use 110, it uses 220. And the way I discovered it was this, I couldn't I couldn't get the three-pin plug into the socket. The, the, the earth bit would go in, but then the two kind of bayonet, you know what I'm talking about? They were splayed open. And so what I did is I, I held the plug with one hand and I squeezed the bayonets together like this. I swear, I swear this is true. I, I promise you, it's exactly what I did. And when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, what the heck are you doing? Because I, I squeezed them together and I got, and I thought, wow, my fingers are incredibly strong. I must be amazing. And I, and I pushed it into the plug and then I was stuck to the plug until some switch switched off somewhere else because I was kind of getting like this. Stuck to the plug for a while, and um, boy, my heart had a jolt that day. Well, that kind of power that comes through that three-pin plug is what it is that Jesus is describing when he says there are three components to worship. The thing that earths us is that we worship the Father. We worship the Father not as a paternal figure, but as you all know, Jesus uses the, the intimate familial word, Abba. I was getting on a plane coming home from Israel on one of the many trips that I made there over the years. We need to do a trip there one time, don't you think? I think that'd be fun. Let's do that. That'd be great. Uh, but we'll go by plane. It's, it's easy to get there. But um, we... <laughs> We were, we were kind of making our journey back and this little boy was ahead of me and he must have been four and he was speaking a combination of English and the local language, which of course I assumed was Hebrew. But Hebrew has all kinds of Aramaic in it from the New Testament time. And this little boy's going, Abba, hold me, Abba, hold me. It was the sweetest thing. That's the picture of worship. It's a worship of Abba. It's a worship of Daddy. It's a connection, an intimate connection with a Father who is deeply in love with us. 
and wants to be with us, wants to spend time with us. Jesus says, the kind of worshiper the Father is seeking is those who worship the Father, Abba, in spirit and truth. Now, here's what's interesting is, is usually when the word spirit is used in the New Testament, it has a capital S and indicates the Holy Spirit. Of course, we would expect that. But on this occasion, all of the translators of this text who translate this text into modern English always translate it with a small s. If you have a kind of standard translation of the New Testament, yours will have a small s. Why a small s? Well, Jesus goes on to explain. He says, because the Father is spirit, small s. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, small s. In other words, Jesus is saying, God has an essential nature. His very essence is spirit. And you have an essential nature. You have a fundamental essence that in our language we would probably call our identity. And Jesus says this, he says, true worship The true worshippers, the kind of worshippers the Father is seeking are those who worship him in the intimate connection of father and child. But that child comes recognizing their true identity. They, They touch base with who they truly are. And sometimes we we have to go through kinds of layers of of other things that other people want us to be or other things we've been trained to be to, to get to that very connection so that we can cry, Abba, Father. It'll surprise you to know that I was raised as an Englishman and uh, trained with a stiff upper lip and, and expected to have a stoic view of life. And so I'm not supposed to get overly excited about things unless it's watching soccer. But generally, throughout life, you're supposed to have this kind of fairly moderate and modest engagement with all of life. And it may be that your cultural background has got similar things that overlay your identity. And what that meant was that in my worship, it was all very stoic. It was all very kind of stilted. It was all very kind of English. And it wasn't truly who I was connecting with my father God, who I knew to be daddy. And here God began to impress upon me that worship of him required more of me than I was currently giving and a deeper place in me than I was prepared to expose. And I read the scriptures and I noticed that the people who were truly passionately in love with God would use their entire bodies to worship and and I, I came to a kind of compromise with the Lord for a little while. I said, Lord, I'll hold the hymn book with the hands that everyone can see. And then you and I will just pretend that we've got another pair of hands. I've got another pair of hands, and I'll wave those before you. How about that? And that lasted for about a week or two until the Lord said, I think we probably need to use the real hands now. 
And I said, well, how do I hold the hymn book? And he said, just make up the words, I don't care. Worship me. Worship me. Worship me, the Father, in spirit, from who we truly are. And of course, who we truly are needs to be framed and carried, needs to be, needs to be covered by the truth that is Jesus. This is John's gospel we're looking at here. And Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the truth in John's gospel is not a general truth, which of course is, is entirely appropriate, but it's not what John is talking about, and it's not the testimony that he's giving. He's talking about the truth, and he's always talking about Jesus. And so when Jesus says to the woman, you need to worship the Father intimately from an intimate place within you, in truth, he meant that. Our worship, the kind of worship that the Father is looking for is a worship that is covered by an understanding of who Jesus is. So the first door, the very first door, I think we've got a slide of a door that kind of might give us a little image of this. It's kind of a cool door that, isn't it? I'd love to have been the artist of that one. The first door is the door of worship, the door up, the invitation to our destination. The second door is the door in. Do you remember the last of the letters, the church at Laodicea, where Jesus is standing at the door knocking? And he says, if anyone hears my voice and welcomes me, I'll come in. For every believer here today, here is the truth. Jesus inhabits your life. Jesus already is present within you. But there's a difference between him being present and him being welcomed. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, so that the Lord might dwell in you. In other words, there's an indication that, that there is a way in which we can go beyond the presence of the Lord being a truth the presence of the Lord being a reality, to the presence of the Lord being a welcome presence where we're inviting him into the various rooms of our life. And which rooms might he want to enter? Well, of course, the room of fear and anxiety. I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice. The scriptures tell us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Perfect love casts out fear. Whenever you're afraid, whenever you're anxious, whenever you're worried, you can invite Jesus into the fear. Isn't that cool? I love that. Isn't it wonderful that when you're anxious, and we all get anxious, we, we get stressed, we get, we get into a place where we're worrying. That's the place where you can invite Jesus, who is perfect love, into that room that is currently filled with fear, and fear will be removed by his love. What about this? What about temptation? All of us are tempted. Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, but all of us have been tempted. 
And that, and that temptation will beset you every day. Paul, writing to the Galatians, his first letter in the New Testament, writing to the Galatians, he's writing to them because they've been disturbed and troubled by, by teachers who are leading them away from the good news of Jesus, leading them away from the gospel. And he says this, he says, look, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. And then earlier on in the letter, he says this, he says this, he says, why is it that those of you who started in the Spirit and by whom you see miracles and healings in your life, why would you who started in the Spirit now assume that the way that you're going to perfect your life and become a better Christian is by the flesh? He says, you must be bonkers. We translate it slightly nicer. Oh, foolish Galatians. He's basically saying, are you stark raving bonkers? You couldn't do it to begin with. Why do you think you can do it now? Your faith, your life, your journey began with the renewal that only the Spirit could give you. So now, when you face the challenge of temptation, invite the Spirit in. We kind of feel ashamed about the things that we're tempted of. Do you know what? None of it surprises God. He knows all of it. And what he wants us to do is to invite him in. I do it all the time. I say, Lord, I invite you into that temptation. It's amazing how quick that temptation goes. Because he's the spirit of holiness. And so rather than being afraid and ashamed and, and doing this kind of foolish condemnation trip and thinking that somehow we've got to, by our strength and by our, by our will and by the, the dint of our own ability, overcome the temptation, instead of that, we say, Do you know what? I'm fresh meat every day for temptation. I think I'm just going to invite Jesus in. Is there an amen anywhere in the room? Amen. So fear, temptation. What about, the, what about the challenges and the difficulties of life? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, not verse 18 where we talked about fear, but verse 4 says this. He who is within you is greater than What? He who is in the world. And so, as you encounter he who is in the world, challenging you, stressing you, trying to divert you, how do you overcome? By allowing Jesus into the challenge, because Jesus is greater than any challenge we face, wherever it may have come from. So there's a door up. Jesus wants us to be drawn into worship. There's a door in. Jesus wants to be involved in the details, the granular details of our life. And then, of course, there's a door out. Do you remember the church in Philadelphia who'd been locked out of the synagogue? He says, every door that's closed, I've closed. 
Behold, I place before you an open door. Philadelphia, like all of the seven churches, is thought to have been planted during Paul's time in Ephesus. Paul establishes the apostolic vocabulary for these churches. And Paul is a one who speaks about an open door all the time. And he always speaks about the open door as an open door into mission. When he returns to his sending church in Antioch, he says, there's a great door being open to faith amongst the Gentiles. When he's writing from Ephesus to Corinth, he says, I think I'll stay here in Ephesus until Pentecost because there's a great door for effective work that's been opened. And so here in the lexicon, in the vocabulary of the, of the local church, the idea of the open door is the door into mission. And Jesus says, I've opened a door before you. Obviously, he wants us to go through it. So he wants us to go up into worship. He wants us to invite him in, in the intimate relationship that we have with him. And he wants us to go out. He wants us to, to step out. He wants us to understand that the people around us may only have us as a representative of Jesus in their lives. It may be that the people that you encounter this week have no other person who will offer them a kind word. Do you know how often it is that people go a whole week without a word of kindness, without a word of mercy, without a generous spirit encouraging them? How often it is that I speak to serving staff at restaurants and they say, thank you for being kind. Usually Christians don't tip us very well. Isn't that a terrible reputation to have? Wow. I think we need to address that one. It's not part of our church giving. Just because we gave on Sunday doesn't mean we don't need to tip the waitress. Going out means going out in the generosity, in the spirit, in the kindness and the mercy of God. And if, as we do that, there is the opportunity to share our faith, of course we do it. We take every opportunity to give an explanation for the hope that is within us. Sally and I have been thinking about this recently, of, of the, the desire that's growing in us that now we've been here a little while, we just want to spend some time with some people who want to know about Jesus outside of the church so that we've got a chance to share our faith. What about you? So when Jesus is calling us to do something, it's about worship. It's about our internal life. Or it's about our mission individually and together. And as we finish today, I want to ask you, which of those doors is the door that you need to focus on right now? We need to have all three doors going. We obviously need all three doors functionally in our life. But which is the door that you need to attend to today? Is it the upward door? 
of worship? Is it the inward door of inviting Jesus into the particular things of your life? Is it the outward door? The worship team are going to come and lead us in our final song of worship. But before we do that, I want us to pray together. And as we pray, I want you to indicate to the Lord the door that you hear him saying, that's the door for you to focus on this week. So if it's the door of worship, as we begin to pray, would you just stand with me now? If that's the door that you need to focus on this week, just stand with me now and I'll pray with you and then we'll do the door in and then we'll do the door out. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah? Okay, so stand up if it's the door up that's the door for you this week. Let's pray together. As you're, as you're just standing, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you made it so clear what it is to worship. And Lord, we want to say that we want to grow in our worship. We want to grow in our love and appreciation of the Father. We want to, Lord, be authentic and worship from our identity, from our hearts, from who we are. And we want to worship Jesus in the knowledge that you've saved us that you've changed us and that your truth defines everything. Lord, lead us through that upward door, we pray. If it's the in door, if it's the door into the things that we wrestle with, the things that we, that we struggle with, then you stand right now. And as you're standing, let me pray for us. Lord, we often find ourselves fearful. We often find ourselves tempted. Lord, we often find ourselves struggling against powers that are greater than ourselves. And Jesus, we invite you into the fear to cast it out. We invite you into the temptation. Jesus, by your spirit to make us holy. And Lord Jesus, we invite you into the challenges because we believe, Lord, that you are greater than any that we will face in the world this week. And we thank you, Lord, that you'll do all of this because it's your commitment to us. If it's the door out, then stand with me now. Jesus, we hear the call of the harvest. Lord, many have prayed for workers in the harvest because they're so few. And so, Lord, we want to respond to the prayer that many have prayed to the Lord of the harvest, that some would go out into the harvest field. And Lord, we hear it and we want to go through that door and we want to see, Lord, the joy of seeing people saved, seeing people brought to you, seeing, Lord, an eternal legacy of our lives. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to go through that open door into the harvest field this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, and during the singing of this song, if there's anything that, where you want to go deeper with the Lord, then come and do business with him. You know what we do now. Come and do business with him. The, the, the prayer team will be here to pray with you. There's lots of healing going on in the congregation. I hear testimonies, a testimony this week of cancer being healed in the congregation. Amazing. People being healed as we, as we pray. And as we, as we learn how to pray for the sick, then obviously we're, we're being called to respond when we need to be prayed for. So come and pray and uh, allow the Lord to do his work among us. Let's continue in worship. <laughs>